taste of Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR broadcasts from Wurundjeri land in the Kulin Nation, stolen land. We pay our respects to elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. The Red Room Poetry Organisation has been busy this August, celebrating the art form with Poetry Month. In collaboration with the Community Radio Network, we'll play a selection of spoken word pieces by writers from around the country today, performed by themselves for Poetry Month. I'm not going to speak in between, just to fit as many as we can in. So by way of a long introduction, we'll be hearing from Maria Tamarkin, Jazz Money, Eloise Grills, Alfie Shiosaki, Daniel Browning, Sandra Renew, Gavin Yan Yao, Sisonki Misamang, Huda the Goddess, Manira Tabassam Ahmed, Esther Ottaway, Dan Hogan and Stephen Herrick. We'll also put the names and links up on the website at 3cr.org.au forward slash spoken dash word. And you can also follow Poetry Month at www.redroompoetry.org. Please enjoy. War and peace. Who knew war would be the time of neologisms so linguistically fertile? Specify which war you are in Australia. On Russian TV, the top dog propagandist points to Macron, meaning to call endlessly. He in turn is known as a propagandon from gandon, Russian, Volga for condom. Everywhere else, Russism. This word is not going. Butchification, Mariupolization. 20 years earlier, the siege of Sarajevo gave us herbicide. Of note too is the virtuoso swearing done at present. Some of the sweary war tweets, truth to power, are sold as NFTs. In Russia, people have been arrested for these words in a piece of paper, children. In the latest chapter of Gallo's humor, jokes blossom too in this war. Mothers implore their Russian soldier sons to bring greater diligence to the looting of Ukrainian households. This war has increased the mobility of washing machines across borders. As an aside, it's always mothers egging the genociders on, right? The new letter in the Russian alphabet dwarfing tanks and buildings is the last letter of the English alphabet. The link you're about to make to your Australian university is in poor taste. I think about what Toni Morrison called the narcotic narcissism of a dead language, about the degradation of language in peacetime, assuming this here now is peace. So too the sunrise with clarity and promise of who you will rise to be. So too the breaking night, who knows dance and feast and then resting. So too the moon, who sees all those standing on the edge of journey, the moth lifting to light, the glistening nectar of now, the current drifting on. So too us hands held, ready to take the first step 
into glory, glowing dawn. Thank you. My name is Daniel Browning and I'm coming to you today from Arakal country on the far north coast of New South Wales, around Byron Bay. And uh, this is a poem called Phalanx, Woman's Work. And it's dedicated to all the women who made me, in particular three great-great-grandmothers, three very revered ancestors. They talk of black matriarchy. I feel it every day. The only black matriarchs I know would refuse that title with an explosive cackle. It speaks nothing of the daily sacrifice of the undying capacity for love. The smoothed creases, the made bed, tight as a drum, and the pathological worries, however they wrapped it. Nunam means sister. She's the head of the phalanx of black women who made everything. And what they didn't manufacture with their own vascular hands, they could fix. No man needed. They disappear anyway. Grandma could reel in four and five at a time, perched on the seawall on the Tweed River. Every day except for Sunday. Black brim was her specialty, enough to feed a black army. They'd hear her speaking lingo from the next room, but never invited in. Do you know what it is to live with fear as constant as breathing? Nanam feared God. It gave rhythm and melody to her life. She couldn't read or write, but knew the good book, verse and chapter. A pillar of the church, she held everything up, even the broken notes as she strained to sing. Granny Hannah didn't have a tribal name, no totem either. We think of paucity, what they didn't pass on, when we owe them the air that we breathe. Granny grew up on Stradbroke, destined to be farmed out as domestic help. But you can't train an incandescent spirit, laced with steel, wrapped in an iron will. They say Granny birthed most of the gurus round here. Well, they used to say that anyway. Any time, day or night, the call would come. She'd hitch up that horse and buggy and soon she'd be flying. Out of Hannah's Hill, a sand dune near South Golden, faster than a king parrot. A chipped blue tea service, Auntie Marg Islin remembered, the gift of her employer, a big pastoral station out west somewhere, a clay pipe, expert horsewoman, or am I misremembering? And her basket weaving, in blood to and her basket weaving. A chipped blue tea service. A chipped. A chipped blue tea service, Aunty Marg Islin remembered. The gift of her employer. A big pastoral station out west somewhere. A clay pipe. Expert horsewoman. Or am I misremembering? And her basket weaving. In blood quantum terms, Granny Allison was full. Her self-loathing country doesn't know itself, always flattening the past to raise shining hollow monuments to the present that will be obsolescent in a decade. Like Pop, Granny didn't like to have her photograph taken. No one could steal her light like her thumbprints. But if I could just see her, I could well imagine what really fires the synapses in my brain. The sheer, undiluted power of a black woman 
standing alone, only moved by the restless jarjum churning in her belly. A woman's work is done. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Kaya. Kaya Nunakot. My name is Elfi Shizaki, and I'm here by the Belia on Wajak Mungabuja to share a poem with you for Red Room Poetry Month. Concrete Country. I stand on burial grounds of interconnected freshwater wetlands, lakes, and swamps. Seasonally flooding, cleansing, sheltering waterbirds, frogs, jilgies, and turtles. I stand on burial grounds, drained and filled, in arrogant miscalculation, overlaid, vanished, vanquished, blood drained in a pale skinned landscape, gate kept by stony rolling forest. I stand on your burial grounds. Centuries of debris crush your chest, slow your heartbeat. I want you to heave and gasp, come alive. I stand on your burial grounds, listening for buried beating, yet only hear vibrations of a city of steel and reinforced concrete, curtain walls of polished stone. Am I on country? Can country even hear me speak, or is it too loud? Judy Judy resting on electric wire, its birdsong muffled, by car honks, screeching brakes, transport buses, and early Sunday morning drum and bass. Construction sites are wistful incantation to gods of greed. If I scream deep into the bitumen, will you hear me then? Will your water table draw up and flood this city? I stand on burial grounds. Wasted tears fall on dusty concrete where wetlands used to flow. This is 30 and 30, presented by Red Room Poetry with the Community Radio Network as part of Poetry Month. Here's award-winning writer and artist Eloise Grills reading her poem, Every Morning I Am Reborn. Every morning I am reborn, must reteach myself to function, must learn tiresome tasks that always need to be redone, that are in their doing unlearned and undone. Like Jesus dragging the stone from the door only to be required to attend tedious course after course on proper wound management. I stare into the mirror, my eyes pour out of my face like two freshly torn bags of sand. I drag my toothbrush across my teeth, willing myself to do it for two more seconds, three. Pulling it across like the heaviest ever chain on a chainsaw, like it might come to life, tear me out of my body, out of this room, out of this most mind-numbing Texas chainsaw massacre of all time. Every morning and every morning and every morning and every morning after that. How to love oneself if one is just a lousy piece of shit. How to find radical self-acceptance if you are just radically unlikable. How to give in to the immense unfriendliness of the universe if you are a privileged white woman who just needs to shut the fuck up. Every morning, a huge crane drives itself into an endless pile of dirt and nothing shifts. Every morning, the light throws itself against the power lines and the apartment blocks and some of the night stays, lingers in their shadow.
I was listening to a nice white lady celebrating the Australian elections, and she said how proud Australian women should be that they got the vote in 1902. I corrected her and said, white women, and she blushed. I thought about you then, as I often do when someone is hopelessly oblivious. I thought of you traveling to America from South Africa and then living in Brooklyn and throwing dinner parties like it wasn't 1897. Whenever I am scared to step forward, I think of you deciding to go to Tuskegee to meet Booker T. Washington. And yes, Booker T. was problematic as a hell, but he built a house of learning that still stands today, and so it made sense to go. I think of John, who was a good husband to you until he wasn't, saying, good idea, my love. Let's go and hear what he has to say. And I see the two of you traveling by train in your finest clothes all the way down to Alabama. In my mind's eye, John is wearing a hat and looking handsome, and you have black feathers in your hair, and both of you are so very far from the hills of Inanda and the skies that we Zulu people named after ourselves, but you are a picture everyone can't help but admire. Whenever I do not know what to do because life is hard in this place where I am too often the only one of us in the room, I imagine the two of you, after the big man's speech, talking late into the night, heads bent towards one another, trying to figure out the best way to be free. And I am jealous of your political camaraderie intertwined with love. In my mind, you look heavenward and tell John, who was a good husband until he realized you would not bear him any children. And you say, our freedom will come when we own the means of production. And he cocks his eyebrow and he says, I love it when you talk marks to me, baby. I imagine you saying, I'm serious. I'm not even playing, Mina. Our voices will build a school. I think you pause and I think you say it again. Sweetheart, we will sing until we can buy ourselves a small piece of freedom. I imagine John saying, yes, Tanbasan, yes, we will. And then you did. You went from house to house in America on a tour. You played a piano and John talked up a storm and talked and talked about the situation of the native in South Africa, which is what they called us back then. And we did too, because it was their language and you had mastered it. Audrey, was, Audrey Lord was right, but to be fair, using their tools was the beginning of dismantling their house, and she was speaking with the benefit of hindsight. And so you traveled and you spoke of black freedom in the Queen's English and sang songs of our own shores in Shaka's Zulu, and the two of you raised enough money to build the school that would make us free. Whenever I am scared today, in this time and place, on land I can lay no legitimate claim to, I think of you. I see you traveling back home, across the Atlantic, and down, 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 and around to the port of Durban. I see you getting off that big ship and gathering your strength to begin the build. I search for footnotes to tell me that you rested, but I can't find any. I am hopeful that you did before you pulled out that money and bought that land that had been stolen from our people and you built the school and John came home and he helped too. You named it Othlange, the place where nations gather. Othlange students made the future. They built furniture and printed the news to tell our stories in a newspaper you two decided to call Ilanga Lase Natal, the Natal Sun. 
The first edition rolled out in 1903, and when they looked at it, those students understood immediately that our words matter. And they also saw clearly that this is how you get free, through song and money and buildings, where we might teach ourselves to make furniture and newspapers and invest in our own ideas. It's funny how white people never think anyone else has a history. Imagine that. And a note on Nogutela Dube, she was the first South African woman to found a school, the Otlange Institute. She also co-founded Ilangalase Natal newspaper, which is still published today. She was a founding member of the Natal Native Congress, and her husband was John Langalali Balele Dube, the founding president of the ANC. Hello, I'm Ayan Shirwa, the host of 3CR's Diaspora Blues program. If you're a longtime 3CR listener, what is up? And if you're a new listener, welcome. 3CR is home to 400 volunteers and over 126 programs. Every year, we bring you stories that concern all of us. The workers, the unemployed, folks from all walks of life. And unlike the corporate shills, our funding comes directly from the community. In return, we shine the spotlight on stories about the climate crisis, Indigenous communities' fight for sovereignty, Palestinian perspectives, and any of the music or art programs 3CR champions. To help your favourite grassroots media stay on air, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio. The program is Spoken Word. We're playing a selection of pieces by writers from around the country performed by themselves for Red Room Poetry Month. You can find out more about Red Room Poetry Month at redroompoetry.org. She marries her. She asks her for her hand to marry after five years of not holy espousal nuptial but partnership in civility. Let's do it, honey, promising to waste no time using her power of eternity to forgive those of you who voted on our fit-for-purpose existence. You're off the hook for being allowed to judge us, even those of you who voted no. So, buoyed up and serendipitous, Pollyanna-ish, she marries her. How now, our now? Five years on through viral spreading and unwealth, social distance, gender agenda, like pushing softly at an open door, were we thinking utopia, pleasing the world? She and she are still a lovely couple. Brush down our wedding suits, velvet lapels, glossy waistcoats, all the crimson linings, corsages, time-withered, concentrating scent and memory, Sequential moments of impulsing spontaneity. Moth holes a good sign, marking time moving on to jubilance, our tin anniversary. Allergy with incredulity of St. Thomas. Last night, my grandfather came back from the grave wearing the tailor-made mouse suit he was buried in. The grasses between us swayed in a crisis of faith. Under the mulberry trees, ceaseless sighing 
he turned round and round to show me that the hair was missing. That from thousands of outstanding applicants, death had chosen him to be kind to. It was a great distinction. He alone was dusted and set free. Though I thought it was a dream, for he spoke so clearly through the stoma, the stigmata on his throat exposing a cave of red words. It was not a dream. Around us, fireflies frisk the dark, the moon breath. Vaporous voices rose. Then fell silent, like aborted hopes. I thought of Christ, bare-chested in Caravaggio's painting. His disciples gathered round him, an awe-struck half-circle, to marvel at the celestial glow of his flesh. And Thomas thrusting a finger into the god's gaping wound, as if to examine the gullet of a sedated beast. Or to measure the breadth and depth of the infinite. His lapidary gaze trained on the vanishing point, where reason ends and belief begins. Blessed are they that have now seen and yet have believed," said the God unto the doubter, as my grandfather spoke plainly to me, as the stars above. Continued the thankless task of interpreting with light the night's only gating immensity. And who am I to trust my own fragile senses over his irrefutable presence? Who am I, riddled with mortal courage, to doubt? Five things I have learned about Earth in the middle of worldly chaos. The ocean is the best place to be humbled and reminded of how even the calmest things can be dangerous in the most beautiful way. Earth is the same color as my first love's eyes, and whenever I miss him, I find a space with pure sand, dig my feet, so I know what it's like to step into a dream. My ancestors' voices are captured in the winds, and whenever there is a storm, I know that they are screaming. My cry always follows. My love for empty spaces started when I realized that nature is never really empty, just a space for art to exist. Earth has humanity in its roots, so whenever we forget to feed it, water it, or listen, the sky will turn gray, the winds will howl, and the ground will seem uneven. I run to the ocean to be humble by its size and con- comforted by the sound of the waves. I listen to the air whisper songs by my ancestors and find a moment of peace. We infect and drain and carelessly use this earth as it continues to feed our humanity, center us, and remind us of what is important. It gives us even at the expense of itself. We have been consumed with the idea of taking and forgetting that balance is felt when you also give. If we continue to beat into these grounds and not water them, its death will be on our hands. Which is to say, we prosper until we are not safe. All of this worth it, even when we are not safe. I ask where you are going. What roads bend aside for this one body? You say where we are not safe. 
The future looks so familiar against your skin. It seeks comfort nestled in the moonlight of this shot. Safe. I brace for the bullet when you tell me that the past is closer than the future, yet still not safe. I forget how to translate words back to you. Like a promise, like a threat, I forgot safe. Instead I say, it is easy to love the thing that returns home. Staying, staying, not safe. But good things don't stay, don't return. They make new homes, rapidly built and wrought safe. The world is over when anyone dies young, but I remember where we remain, burning, not Safe. Munira, someday you will love until you are free. A martyr for all the things you could not save. 3CR. Here to stay. There's no disabled girls with style like mine. A woman wearing makeup must be fine. They tell me there is nothing wrong with you. Disabled girls cannot have style like mine. Good-looking girls are not supposed to whine or carry on about what they can't do. A woman wearing makeup must be fine and healthy, strong, except when her waistline is big. Then the first thing she needs to do is lose that weight. No girls with style like mine have hidden disabilities or climb up mountains of distress. From birth, we knew that little girls in dresses must be fine and happy. When I talk about decline, my sobbing, shattered meltdowns, self-harm, blue nights, they fail to see through style like mine, my terrors, my self-medicating wine. I dress well and it helps my grip stay true. On mental health. My fault for looking fine. You're clearly well. Don't waste the doctor's time. Autistics do not look the way you do. A woman wearing makeup must be fine. There's no disabled girls with style like mine. This poem is called What Fangs Out of the Bracken with a Head Full of Garden. Summer equals cicada scream plus other superimpositions hung in the air like an idea of bunting, but never the worsted wool. I'm no mathematician, but who is? Nobody in this poor excuse for a nondescript prison hurtling birthday toward birthday toward your 10th coffee is free. A pop-out cake is a large prop designed to resemble a cake in which a person emerges to the surprise of outsiders. Innovation and jobs and growth have seen a little seat inside. When the alarm went off this morning, I wasn't yet the genealogy of an image, but who is? Who? Everybody inside a pop-out cake has two wolves inside them. Both are domesticated. One is a chihuahua slash Pomeranian cross. The other is red. Anyway, there is no gimmick like home. I once knew a Pomeranian who, despite the limits of their form, taught me bagel is short for baby angel. I digress. But also, when in Rome, when in Rome, stuff a pie full of doves and frogs and have them burst forth for your guests. This is all to say grief is a detour. When in Rome... I desire for this loss to manifest as something, anything, handsome in writing, but all I've got is this fixation on pop-out cakes, and the loudest cicadas are the ones who stayed in the ground the longest. But don't take my word for it. Ear to the ground until the lawn's urge has cut through to the other side. Blade of grass? 
meadow of knives, find a veranda and wait on it. See what I'm saying? When in the yard, ask yourself, what fangs out of the bracken with a head full of garden? The answer and everything on this page is... Last night on the television news, I saw a koala crawl through a burnt forest and sit on the side of the road where a group of cyclists were resting. A cyclist offered his water bottle to the koala. The furry little fellow crept closer and allowed the cyclist to give him a drink and everyone laughed to see something so cute, so close. And yet all I could think of was how scared and thirsty and desperate and lonely that koala must be to go so close to a human. And I wondered if the koala knew who caused the forest to burn, who chopped down the trees, who dried up the water holes, and who stole their future. We've been playing a selection of pieces by poets from around the country, performed for Red Room Poetry Month via the Community Radio Network. You can find out more at www.redroompoetry.org. We'll also put the names and links up at 3cr.org.au forward slash spoken dash word where you can listen back to the podcast of this and many past episodes. My name is Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening.